In the first two seasons of our podcast, I chatted with Kate Leone, a journalist, single mom, and world traveler. Kate had never taken a self-defense course before, and we figured her questions were probably your questions too. So if you've been following along all along, thanks for listening. You can keep up with Kate on her podcast at RestoriaTherapy.com. For this season, it seemed like a good time to change things up a bit. And the new theme song you're hearing, by the way, is an excerpt from a song called Icarus Wish by Berlin punk trio Dead Sentries, who also happen to be my neighbors, and who are generously letting me use this track, which you can also find on Bandcamp. Anyway, I thought it was time to head out into the world, virtually speaking, and talk to other women and men in the universe of self-defense, self-empowerment, and martial arts. I'm talking to old friends, new acquaintances, and complete strangers. Yes, I do talk to strangers, because I can defend myself. But I might hang up on them, too. We'll see. So if you've stuck with us so far, keep listening, keep learning, keep laughing. You never know who we're going to talk to next. Well, I do. Welcome to episode 47 of the Pretty Deadly Podcast. This week, I'm chatting with Shelby Laterza. Shelby lives and works in Los Angeles. She's been in martial arts for 10 years, and just like Ritz in episode 44, Shelby's interest in martial arts started in high school with a woman's self-defense course. But Shelby managed to talk her mom into letting her continue. Now she's an assistant teacher at a dojo in L.A. and is also a certified Pretty Deadly coach. She works full-time for the nonprofit Ronald McDonald House Charities and volunteers with the Make-A-Wish Foundation as well. And when she's not working or volunteering or martial artsing, she's practicing yoga, aerial sports, trapeze, and is a seamstress. Oh my God, I do like two things in my spare time. Oh, to be so young and so full of energy. But seriously, what impresses me most about Shelby is her ability to move around in the dark. Growing up, random fruit store, but my mom um, never wanted us to wake her up before school. So we kind of got used to just navigating through a darker house, you know? Oh, really? So that way we would turn the lights and wake her up. So it's kind of natural for me. That's funny. Really. It's like kind of early ninja training. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> So tell me, because we didn't get to train together when I was in Los Angeles. You joined the dojo after I left. Yeah, I joined this dojo about three years ago, going on three years now. Um, and, you know, I was looking for this dojo, or a dojo like this specifically, something in Nimpo, because I had done that in high school. And then in college, I'd done some karate and MMA, which was in a gym and just didn't have the same vibe that I was looking for um, to pay for all of that, you know, I, if I was going to pay this much money to go to something like that, I wanted it to be a very traditional martial arts space and maybe something closer to what I had done in high school so I could continue and finish it. Um, so yeah, I found that spot uh, like three years ago and started there at that time and have continued since, obviously. What, when you were in high school, what made you join a martial art? Yeah, so we went to a self-defense class that they hosted for us. Um, we, my mom and I, she made sure that both my si older sister and I, when we became teenagers, we got self-defense training. Um, so that way we could, we were both very active uh, teenagers. We walked around by ourselves a lot, very independent. 
um, with young women at that time. And so she wanted to make sure that we got all of the training we needed to keep ourselves safe, as safe as we could. Um, you, did you grow up in Los Angeles? No, I grew up in Ohio. Um, my, I've kind of bounced around the country a few times, but I grew up in Ohio and then um, went to South Carolina for school there for college. So that kind of was the break in my training. Um, but yeah, it all started just, you know, with one self-defense class for women that the, our, the dojo at that time was hosting. Uh, they had a couple community outreach programs and one of them was, you know, that self-defense class. And then I begged my mom to let me continue uh, training there because, you know, it, martial arts is a very expensive uh, hobby for sure. Yeah. And it's more than my mom had paid, my mom and dad had paid for either of my other siblings to and myself to do any activity or sport, nothing was that expensive. And so it was definitely a huge conversation to have and a huge investment that they made in um, me. And I had to beg them a little bit to get them to consider it and finally eventually uh, put aside the money for it so that way I could do it. Um, what, what appealed to you about it? I mean, so you took one self-defense class and then you wanted to, you wanted to jump right into martial arts. Yeah, so I just really liked being able, you know, I'd grown up as a huge nerd watching all of these like superhero movies and action stuff and, um, you know, they're always fighting and then all of a sudden now it became something that I could do. It was very accessible and I was kind of good at it. Not like, you know, I was not amazing or anything, but they were like, oh yeah, you've got the move right. And it kind of felt good to use my body in that way. I'd never been really good at sports. I'd always been that kid who had to like try extra hard, but also didn't want to try extra hard to be good at a sport. Mm -hmm. um, those things didn't come naturally, but somehow moving my body in this way felt good. And it was fun to like interact with people and do one-on-one, -on -one, you know, moves together and like see how it affected them immediately and um, quickly. And it was just very cool to me to um, experience that. And I haven't really felt that connection with any other hobbies up until that time. So that was why I was so adamant to continue to do it and explore it, this whole new world. Wow. One self-defense class. That's kind of yeah, amazing one. though, you know? I mean, because I've taken self-defense classes where I'm, you know, my response had been like, wow, no, get these people <laughs> away from me. <laughs> well, I think that they handled it pretty well. Um, and I've always been, and also their beginning uh, levels of Ninpo were also focused on self-defense. Mm -hmm. um, all of the moves that they gave to us were very practical. Um, you know, it wasn't until you got into the higher levels that you really started focusing on like the technicality of everything, the martial arts technique mm -hmm. based, but like, you know, and they always made sure that we worked with the bigger guys too, especially all the teenagers. They would pull us aside and say, hey, this is a bigger guy. So now that you have the move, with your friend who's also a teenager, mm -hmm. try, you know, this guy that you are also friends with and he's gonna attack you more realistically. So they just had a very good um, methodology to it. And that one self-defense class was very much like, we focused on awareness first. Um, and we focused on how to do some basic moves, how to fall a little bit, and then how to like actually engage with somebody if they come up to you. So mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was, again, just something that really clicked with me, which was lucky. Smart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a good approach, um, not only for self-defense, but also when you started training of, you know, yeah. creating a, a 
a pragmatic progression of the things mm -hmm. that you learn, you know, not like, you know, I don't know, not just kind of throwing you in and being like, and so today you're going to learn, you know, a super complicated <laughs> lock. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, it was very blended, which was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and I got halfway through that program and then I had to leave for, I moved eight hours away for college. So mm -hmm. that was the only reason that I didn't continue it further. Mm -hmm. um, but I, whenever I do self-defense, cause I, in the dojo in LA now we've started, we started doing self-defense seminars and mm -hmm. some self-defense classes there. And so I try to implement some of those things that initially got me excited about it, if right. I can, right. um, you know, and just because it was like, oh, this is this worked really well for me. Let's see if we can do it for other women too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you got. Why did you move to LA? How did you get from South Carolina to Los Angeles? Uh, so I started working for my current organization, Ronald McDonald House Charities. Um, we are worldwide, and in college, I started volunteering with them, and I eventually started working for them uh, by the end of my college career. Um, after I graduated, I was looking for any job anywhere. I lived in the South and I lived in the Midwest and I was like, let's go somewhere new. And I found this job in Los Angeles and they hired me. And so I moved out here for that. And that's Simple. all that it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, and then you found the Los Angeles Dojo Studio City Martial Arts. Martial Arts. Yeah. Yeah. And so how did you find, I mean, how was it for you? Was it, um, was it, did it satisfy what you were looking for? I mean, I guess, cause you're still there, right? So yeah. in the sense of you were looking for something a bit more traditional, um, mm -hmm. the dojo has changed hands since I've been training there. So it's no longer run by Sensei Minj, um, but run by Sensei Brian, right? Yes. So Ron, I, only who I, I trained with Ron a lot, actually, Ron Lazo. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, Ron was really, I was really fun. And he started producing a lot of babies and I didn't see so much of him anymore. So, but yeah, we trained together for quite a number of years. Um, yeah, I've only known it under Sensei Brian's um, leadership. Uh -huh. And, you know, actually I did run into Sensei Minj once. He came in one time while I was training Mm -hmm. um, he didn't actually introduce himself to me. So technically, um, I never met him, but, uh, he did manage to talk to the partner that I was working with who, yeah. So, um, it, it was something that I've just never, I never experienced such a transition really. I only experienced the after effects and, um, you know, I am very happy that I got to work with Brian. I've heard mixed things about the previous owners and it sounds like there was some, um, chaos involved with the transition and everything. And so I'm kind of grateful that I went in when I did, because that was all kind of settled. And then just dealing with the fallout of changing ownership, because that's a lot. Um, but yeah, I've had Brian train me and uh, Sensei Ron, and even a little bit of Sensei Angel, he's popped in from time to time, which has been- Oh, that's nice. Yeah, a pretty fun, just something new. <laughs> Yeah, Angel's really great. I I got to work with Angel a lot as well. He, um, I think he, gosh, I think when I met Angel in that dojo, he was like 15, maybe, or oh, a little wow. younger. Yeah, so yeah. Well, you know, I'm old. I've been around a long time. 
So anyway, so, but we're not here to talk about me. We're here to talk about you, Shelby. Oh, great. Yes. So how, so, so now you've been in NIMPO for quite a number of years. What's the total number of years that you? Uh, total is about six. And it was kind of, I got halfway through the first program, came out here, right? That was three years. And then this is like, now I'm halfway through the second program, but the world shut down. So, um, yeah. I don't know how much of this year to count. <laughs> and what rank are you? Um, right now I am, well, I was about to test for blue black, but that didn't happen um, because of COVID. So now I'm just blue. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, and right. then in the old, old one, I was red white, which is again, halfway through theirs. Okay. So. Yeah, but blue belt, it's not nothing. I mean, it's, it's a right. lot. It's a lot of training that goes in just to reach that level in, in the system that we use. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's not nothing. Um, and now that you've been in it for six years, how, how is your understand or how has your feelings about it changed if they have, you know, you've got a longer relationship now with NIMPO and you've also been out in the world more now. And um, mm -hmm. as opposed to the teenager who begged her parents to let you join. I mean, now it's a, it's a whole different, in a way it's totally. a different relationship, but it's also something that's, evolving over your life so do you can you talk about what might have changed for you like yeah a different perspective or understanding maybe I should shut mm -hmm. up and let you talk <laughs> no you're fine it's great um yeah I when I was a teenager it was kind of something that I was doing it was very empowering and that was great but looking at it and we were in an adult's class as teenagers um it was something that we trained at an adult level just as much as they did but I think, you know, that was before I really hung out with a lot of people, you know, I it was a teenager who mostly had friends, friendships with other straight girls. Um, I'd never really come into uh, the huge party scene. We were all, all of my friends and I were, were pretty nerdy, um, you know, just very dorky young women. I was always in a very safe environment when I was around them. Um, and then I stopped doing martial arts and went off to college. And that was what kind of changed what I learned from there. Um, I was starting to be with people who were partying. I was starting to be with people who weren't really necessarily my friends, but just more acquaintances. There were guys in my dorm that I was friends with for the first time. So there was a whole lot of like, for me, boundary learning. And um, there were definitely a lot of situations where I had to learn to adapt my martial arts knowledge into something that was more socially appropriate. Um, and so my journey of self-defense has come from not any giant crazy situation, but from a lot of little socially awkward situations where I have to figure out how to use my martial arts to not let this person put me in a situation that I don't want to be in, but also not to do anything, you know, crazy, like bash them in the face and like, it's not a stranger, it's somebody I know and I care about and I don't wanna like, you know, be socially awkward around them or break their arm or something. So how do I get myself out of this situation? So then, you know, going through those kinds of things changed martial arts for me when I was now, you know, full-fledged adult, right? Who is um, in LA drinking with at bars sometimes. Um, I'm out on my own sometimes just walking around downtown and then I rejoined martial arts. And so it's been an interesting 
perspective shift for sure. You know, I have this different view on, okay, what's practical, what's not practical? Um, why am I learning this art and how much detail do I want to get into this art are all kind of new uh, questions that I've changed my perspective on. So like, I do want to learn a lot about the detail, you know, but also at a higher level, at an adult level, but also I know that like, that's not going to matter at, you know, in certain things, not all of the moves that we learn in martial arts are practical if ever, you know, in situations <laughs> you can learn this really awesome move and it's super fun to do. And it teaches you a lot about what you're doing and why you're doing it and how the body works. But at the end of the day, you'll never actually use that in real life. Right. Um, even if you're in a full fledged fight with somebody, it's just not going to happen. Like, uh, so actually. Yeah, you know, so it's definitely a very, I have a like 180 perspective on why I'm going into it. And I'm very grateful that I had that break in those life experiences that have shown me. Uh, so that way I have the experience to say, you know, yes, I'm excited to learn this new move, even though it's totally impractical, it's going to teach me a lot. And then later when I learn another move, how do I tone it down, tone it up based on the situation? How do I use, um, you know, what's the socially appropriate one? What's the more, okay, this is a stranger on the street and I need to get away from move, um, you know, and then how do I implement that into real life is, um, yeah, it just, it, it's very different for me now and I'm happy for it. Do you think um, that the way your body has been responding to the moves that you've learned and new moves that you're learning has changed over time as well? I mean, you yes, started well, as a teenager and now you're an adult. So there's a bit of biological evolution happening along with your, for sure. Yeah, along with your training. And when I started, I was 32. Um, mm -hmm. And certainly, I mean, your body always continues to change and grow and do weird stuff. And now I'm 52. So it's, it's a bit different, but it's not so different as if I had started as a teenager and continued on into adulthood. You know, like those differences for me from when I started to now are a bit more subtle. Mm -hmm. I think it's not like things suddenly grew where they weren't before. <laughs> I don't know if that's what happened to you. Not, but you know what I mean? I mean, it's kind of like your, <laughs> my body didn't go through such drastic changes when I started in Impo um, yeah. to now. I found that I've definitely changed. Um, one of which, well, not only because I was a teenager and now I'm an adult, and your body just naturally, you have a different body. Every seven years, apparently, all of your cells have regenerated and you're in a totally different body than you were seven years ago. So, you know, I have a different shape, I have a different body, um, but then also as an adult, I got involved in um, like trapeze aerial arts and like trapeze and stuff. And so I found motivation to become a lot stronger and more fit than I was when I was a teenager who never really had a lot of sports that I like to do, I like to play I was a theater kid, you know, I wasn't in the best shape of my life. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, going from a teenager and now I'm an adult and things are in different places and, you know, where that is, but then also I have muscle that I had never had before. Um, and it's, I've actually found that people, you know, tell me like, oh, stop, don't use, don't muscle through your move, you know, which is great advice, but also really frustrating. And I'm like, I finally have the muscle to muscle through it and you're telling me not to use it? Oh. <laughs> in the wrong place, <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's definitely, um, 
I'm a lot more cognizant of how I can also get hurt too. Um, whereas before as a teenager, I would do, you know, whatever and not really think about like how long it takes me to heal. And now I'm like, oh, well, if somebody tries to move on me and it doesn't go so well, or I have had somebody try and move on me and um, it was a headlock and uh, I was letting him learn the technique and he actually did injure my neck. Um, and that put me out of commission for my other stuff for like a month or two to heal. And even now I have to be careful about how I use my mm -hmm. neck and I don't let people practice chokeholds on me anymore unless I really trust the person. Okay. Go figure. Um, it is a very dangerous move, so it makes sense. But yeah, it's definitely one of those where I'm a lot more cautious about my own limitations as a partner, as an UK, than I was before. Whereas before it could, it would just be like, oh, try anything, you know, I don't care. Um, and then I also have like, I've developed arthritis in the jaw, TMJ, like locked jaw or something. I've got weird jaw issues and I, turns out I'm missing, um, some adult teeth. I still have some of my baby teeth because no adult teeth grew behind it. So, um, I don't let anybody punch me in the jaw or the face anywhere around there. I don't do any like, um, jog vice grips that we have like Soshu and Oshu. None of that's allowed to be on me um mm -hmm. or done on me because the fallout from those things are either a seven thousand dollar dental bill or um just pain in the jaw for a month so right. uh i'm also you know now an adult with body issues whereas before i was just a teen who again everything was right. very pliable and it would go back to where well, it was supposed you to go to pay your own medical bills and there's that yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that the bottom me differently yeah. <laughs> might be the biggest motivation. Um, so yeah, it's, I, yeah, it's totally different now mm. for multiple reasons. Growing old is weird. I'm not, I'm not going to respond to that, <laughs> but okay. Let's move on to the next question. Shall we? What, um, what do you feel you got out of that first self-defense class that was really practical and that has that has in essence led you back around. You, um, you trained to become a certified coach in Pretty Deadly. Yes. So what's the, is there a connecting thread from the one to the other? I mean, apart from this uh -huh. general self-defense and NIMPO, I guess those are, I kind of just answered the question. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. It's uh, that first self-defense class was one of the unique things about it was that self-defense isn't just what you physically do to another person, but also what you do mentally to them where, okay, how do I make sure that I'm aware of somebody without letting them get too close? And how do I use that? Again, I walk around by myself, single female all the time. Um, well, yeah, even at night, three o'clock in the morning, whatever it is, typically now lately I've been taking lifts and stuff, but like, I do walk around by myself. So having the social awareness to say, oh, there's a person, man or woman on the street right now, and they're looking at me. So I'm gonna make sure they know I see them, but also I'm not gonna like stare at them or let them get too close to me. And if a situation's ever like really weird, I'm gonna just find another way to go, um, you know, because this is not working out for me in this situation. So that was kind of, shocking to me that it's not all physical. It's a lot of mental preparation and to see how 
like paying attention to somebody will make them think like, oh, you know, maybe not, maybe I shouldn't go for that one. She's aware of me. She knows that I'm going to, you know, mm-hmm. come and get her or whatever it is, like those kinds of situations and how it changes from if the person on the street is a man or a woman, mm-hmm. um, that can change their mentality and how we treat them. Mm-hmm. So like for women, I find it's best not to like make a lot of eye contact with them because that engages them, whereas they wouldn't engage before. But with men, it's almost like you kind of have to like let them know that you see them. Otherwise they feel offended that you didn't see them for some reason, at least from my experiences on the streets. American men. It's yes. a, it's, it's, it's different in every country. So mm-hmm. I, I found that as well with American men that when I, when I completely ignore them, they get even more angry yeah. on the street. But I also learned that in Paris, if I look them in the eye, then for them, that's an invitation. And you get followed, mm-hmm. you know, off the train into your front door. So you can't look them in the eye. Um, or look, you can't even let them see you looking at them. Right. Because they're like, oh, she noticed me. Great. Obviously, she's in love. Or, right. That is the logical at least job. Yes, sex with me. yes, always. And in Germany, it's, it's um, you can stare openly. I don't have so much of a problem with it here, but from women that I work with in Pretty Deadly, um, they've told me that it's, it's you, they've stared back at people openly mm-hmm. and let people know that they see them and that seems to be okay here. So again, it's just, it's really different in every country. And love, I mean, here in Berlin, in our Pretty Deadly courses, there's so many expats from all over the world um, that live here and so many people take pretty deadly because they're new to the city and they're feeling a little vulnerable because they don't know the rules mm-hmm. of the street yet. So I get, yeah, great. I get to meet people from like literally every corner of the world. But what we discover is that these things are cultural, you know, like, like in America, mm-hmm. you, they need to be acknowledged, you know, in France, bad idea, you know, in Jordan, it's something else in Egypt. It's something else again in Italy. It's something else. It's really fascinating. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it seems very cultural. But anyway, that's kind of off the rails. Uh, not really, but a bit. What? Kind of a dive. What? A little bit of a deep dive, but I love it. A little bit of a <laughs> deep dive. Um, what made you decide to become a pretty deadly coach? This is an awkward question because I'm asking you. And uh, Well, we never trained together, but I trained with Serena and she introduced me to you. Um, She knew that I was very passionate about making sure that self-defense is something that we teach women, that we teach it practically. Um, You know, in SCMA, I was lucky enough to be more involved in the planning of the seminars sometimes. And um, I always made sure to go ahead and throw in my two cents even, you know, because we have some big men and then there's running it. And then also one of the co-owners of the dojo is Kelia, she's awesome. And she's also a smaller female like myself, you know, shorter female like myself. So we would kind of, I made sure to throw in my two cents and um, make sure that hers were heard and recognized from a martial arts standpoint too, just, you know, so that way when these big men show up to teach the female self-defense mem- uh, seminars that we had, that they were being taught um, with female perspective in mind and not um, just what they think we should learn, but also what we have experienced and what we want other people to be prepared to address in real life. Mm-hmm. So 
I was talking to Serena about all of this and um, we, you know, she was like, oh, well, my friend Susie has a great self-defense program for everybody, you know, and it's very accessible and um, you could become a community teacher for it or, you know, it ended up being community coach, but at the time we didn't know all the full titles. <laughs> um, and so, you know, she's looking to expand it into LA. So maybe that's something you're also interested in. And I was like, yeah, that actually does sound pretty cool. Cause then I could just go and help out. It would, I wouldn't have to be tied to a specific dojo or anything. I can um, do it in the park if I want, or, you know, if the need is there. Um, it can be in a, a karate dojo or a yoga studio or a community center. Like I like that it can come into any environment and not be tied to a particular, um, you know, martial arts mindset of this is the martial arts that we're teaching and this is what we normally teach. And, um, but it's, it's flexible, which is really cool. And then honestly, when I was doing the training with you and you started talking about some of the things like social consequences and how do we do it when we're drunk or intoxicated in any way and how you have um, self-defense programs levels two, three, and four for that. I was like, wow, okay. You know, before I was like, yeah, this is great. But now I'm really excited because these are all the things that I have to add into every, you know, my little soapbox in the middle of a seminar. And now all of a sudden, like somebody else has thought of them. Amazing. <laughs> what are the odds? And so that's when I got like super excited about the program. Um, but again, I really like that you make it accessible to everybody and that the primary focus isn't just, you know, you spell it differently. It's not women, it's W-O-M-E-X-N, right? So that uh, it yeah, includes everybody, I, I, it's all inclusive. Yeah, I go back and forth on that. In your not, I, it's really hard to keep up with the, the um, hardcore feminists stories and the spelling of women yeah. I can't so I've actually just gone back to w-o-m-e-n um because I don't I, I I can't it's things are changing so much so fast right now in the world with social it movements, is yeah and I just was trying to stay on top of all of it and then realized you know what it's I don't know who none of us know how things will find their own levels when all of this is over, mm -hmm. the pandemic, the movements, the politics, the climate change, all of it. Um, so I just have to pick a path and hope for the best, which I think is still, and also, also, that's you know, kind of a pretty philosophical approach just to a single word, but <laughs> at the same time, it's just, you know, it's like anyone could be equally bad or good and you just have to pick one and hope that that's the best right. one. Yeah, but, I don't know. You know, you, the goal of the different spelling wasn't to spell it differently. Your goal was to be inclusive, you know, and yeah. that was what I liked. Yeah, the yeah. Inclusivity of all. It is inclusive. Um, the the spelling of it started, I think, last year. Is the last year or the year before is when I first saw it, um, and it was kind of a trend here in Berlin as well um, to indicate inclusivity for non-binary people which in berlin that is that's like half the city you know i mean it's gender is gender <laughs> in la as well right berlin is i mean it's part of the history of berlin actually is being non-binary yeah so it's uh so it's it's usually an issue that's at the forefront of of social politics and politics in general 
But then last, was it last year? I can't remember. All of a sudden it all changed. And suddenly spelling the word women with an X in place of the E was indicating, um, was indicating sort of a, a demeaning form of inclusivity for non-binary people. I don't know. I got lost oh. in all of it. And I was like, mm, I don't know. But you know what? Um, but also I had sent that, like I had sent a flyer to Paris, a friend of mm -hmm. mine to look over for something he was doing. He's in the LGBTQ community and he saw the word and he was like, oh, you, you have a typo. <laughs> you misspelled the word women. There's an X where the E should be. And I was like, no, that oh, I'm it's exclusive. And he was like, it means you don't know how to spell. What are you talking about? <laughs> so he had never seen it before. And yeah, I was like, okay, I, 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 I can't keep up with it. <laughs> I'm going to just, I'm just going to go back to women and, um, yeah, hope for the best. Yeah. And hope that we can communicate that we're inclusive in other ways in, instead of just relying on a single word to carry right, exactly. your message. Cause that's a pretty big message, I think for one word. And, and it's not just, you know, you can't limit it to word either. You have to follow up with you know, like you do, making sure in your um, promotions and everything that it's for everybody and not just, you know, right. cis females. So, yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, you can't just be like, okay, we have the X. But meanwhile, <laughs> we're good. <laughs> yeah, we're good. We're done. Yeah, no, that doesn't work. Um, what do you, hmm, I'm a little stuck for questions at the moment because it's late here. I've had an incredibly long day. I also learned that my German intensive language class that I'm taking that I thought was only two days a week and it's called intensive because it's in the morning. I just <laughs> learned today that it's actually called intensive because it's every day. And I was like, oh. <laughs> so that affects your sleeping habits a little bit. Yeah. yeah, totally. I was really freaked out. So yeah, I'm a little out of it at the moment. Um, but what I do want to know is what do you think, like, how do you think you'll kind of translate pretty deadly? You know, how do you, how will you make it your own? I think, you know, it's going to change based off of what group I'm with necessarily. You know, like, I think that as a self-defense, like I said, you've, I'm happy that you've covered already a lot of the things that I normally you know, take charge in, in leading self-defense seminars. But, um, you know, I also like to tailor things based off of groups. So if it's young teens, I try and, you know, say, oh, this is what you might experience in college versus adult women don't need to know what you'll experience in college because typically they're not going there anymore. into the dorms and anymore. You know, they've already passed it for one reason or another and they just aren't there. So, um, you know, what I'll adapt to, what I'll bring to the table, I guess, is more just um, trying to figure out how to best um, translate life experience of things that aren't like super duper tragic, but like, you know, you still have to find ways out of self-defense um, wise to make sure that you can like get out of this, oh, this is rambling. <laughs> I wanna make sure that people can get out of situations 
um, regardless of what age or what scenario they're in. And I feel like there are a lot of things that um, translate really well. And like I said, you've covered in some of the higher levels, but I wanna make sure that the intro level as a community coach is aware that they can take more information from those higher levels too. You know, those people who are gonna show up are not necessarily gonna be aware of all of the different implications. And a lot of people show up to self-defense and think, great, I'm gonna bash somebody's head in on the street and it's gonna be awesome and feel so good. And yeah, it does feel good to just punch things out on a bag. But, um, you know, I wanna make sure that they are aware of the implications of their movements, how it can affect somebody, how that person might try and um, say, oh, well, I was just kidding. I don't know why you're acting this crazy way about it. Like all of a sudden it's like, well, you grabbed me and started taking me to another room. So that's not cool. Um, right. But like, you know, whatever the situation is, like I wanna let them know, hey, we cover it in some of the higher levels. Here's how you can kind of get an idea of what that's like. And also, yes, let's go ahead and punch this bag in because that's a super fun stress reliever too. Um, it is fun. <laughs> Absolutely. It's funny, in tonight's class, we were talking about um, a little bit what you're mentioning. We were talking about um, how you learn by receiving as well as an uke in martial mm -hmm. arts, because pretty deadly isn't, you know, self-defense isn't martial arts, which you yeah. know and I know. And, um, and I try to remind people in my courses that while you are learning, moves that are based on martial art, it, these are two different things. But sometimes there's crossover. And tonight we were working with, um, with, a, with really small pads. So mm -hmm. they had to kind of move them around to make sure that they weren't getting struck in various places. And they were saying it kind of, you know, it made us go really slow and we had to figure that out. And I was pointing out that that, it, that helps you learn what effect you have mm -hmm. on another body by receiving it. You know, and also yeah. what effect, and in that way, I think it also helps learn what you're talking about. You know, the, the effect of you bash somebody's face in um, because, they grabbed, because they grabbed you and they tried to take you to another room and how that can actually produce a response in someone else that, where they're immediately like, oh my God, that was, you overreacted. Whether that's because they're a right. horrible person and they're gaslighting you or they're actually just responding in their own defensive way because it could be one or the mm -hmm. other. I mean, you, you're always gonna define, respond in some defensive way if somebody hits you, regardless. And I feel like a lot of people, a lot of guys especially don't realize that they are putting women in vulnerable situations and they don't realize the impact that their actions have. And so, yeah, maybe they were just trying to take you into another room to show you something, but maybe they didn't realize <laughs> well, I, like, I oh, wait a second. that's exactly what they're doing. <laughs> I know what you mean though. That, yeah, that where it's, the, it, it's, there's a, a more innocent reason behind Right, it. they don't think of themselves as, oh, I was going to take them into, you know, I'm not the problem. I'm not doing this rapey thing, you know, like, no, no, that's not me. That's somebody else on the street. Like they, a lot of men don't realize what their actions, they have the consequences of. And a lot of guys just really don't think of themselves as the villain because why not? Or they don't think about the situation enough. And so, yeah, it's, then they all of a sudden, like you said, get really defensive after and go, what are you talking about? I can't believe you overreacted. <laughs> you know, right. um, that couldn't be me. 
doing that crazy thing that you're accusing me of. That's right. Crazy. Right. But the problem is, is that when they do that, people tend to believe them over mm -hmm. the woman that's responding. And, right. and, and it, which makes the entire situation worse, literally for everybody. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, but I think you're right that, you know, learning how to respond to those situations in a way that does take into consideration the social cost, um, mm -hmm. what likely responses could be and how to handle those or how to make sure that they don't even get set up in that way. Um, but still mm -hmm. shut down whatever's happening that that doesn't make you feel good. Well, that's not yeah, always be able to shut it down. Yeah. Well, you should, but we don't always, you know, and especially as women, we're very socialized to always agree, you know, to be like, yeah, okay, what are you going to show me? You know, we often sometimes are a little uncomfortable saying no, um, or, mm -hmm. or really setting our boundaries. So, yeah, you know, I mean, I think it's, it's really important to talk about that. So I think it's interesting that that's kind of, that's your take, especially you are, you are young. And you're a little closer to your college years than I certainly am. So these things are much more, I think they're more a part of your daily experience and the people that you talk to. Right? I mean, I think yeah. that, like men being creeps are a part of every woman's experience, but on a regular basis, regardless of age, but the specific way people are creeps at different ages changes. And yeah. I think that that's an interesting thing to, to, to talk about and to kind of bring to the table how to make that your own and and something that you really feel strongly about as mm -hmm. you say it's something that i um yeah it's something that i really wanted to bring into the program especially the idea of defending yourself when you're drunk or if you're on drugs or i mean i it doesn't matter what you put into your body you still have a right to say what happens to it um, right and you know I went through my phases when I was younger. So, you know, I remember what it was like and I remember the danger that you could be in. You know, I was very lucky under those states as far as I know, but pretty sure <laughs> that I was very lucky when I was in altered states and nothing, um, nothing dangerous ever happened to me during those periods. Certainly, unfortunately, just when I was sober, that's when things happened, great. So an argument for things that I probably shouldn't get into because I'm too tired and shouldn't even be having this conversation about drugs and alcohol right now because it's irresponsible of me. But nonetheless, um, yeah, it is something I wanted to bring into the program and make sure that was accessible as well. So I'm really, I think it's really cool that you responded to it in such a positive way because sometimes people respond like, you know, what, are you advocating alcohol and drug use? Which no, I'm not, but I'm not un, I'm not disadvocating it. I mean, people are people, they do whatever they do. I don't care who you are, what you do. You still have a right over your own body. Totally. Okay. And like, when you first said that, I was like, hey, I can try it now. Like, not like, I'm gonna go get drunk and then get in a fight, but like, how, how do my reflexes actually change when I am drunk? I've not had to use self-defense and a lot of intoxicated situations, thankfully. Um, Cause usually when I'm by myself, I'm walking it off at that point cause I'm walking home. Uh, but like, it just hasn't 
those two things haven't really intersected a lot. And so, you know, you said that and I was like, you know what, maybe, maybe I should have a little, little wine tonight and see what happens, <laughs> like try and move or something and see how my balance shifts or, you know, like what, what does that entail? Like I've never explored that before. It's a very cool, you know, interesting realm that you brought up. Yeah. Well, if you're testing it yourself, I'm just a word of advice. Um, don't go too far. Don't get cocky. Like, you know, because wine, alcohol in general is like, you know, don't operate heavy machinery under the influence of alcohol, right. which is also your brain and body. And I know my brain under alcohol, especially when I started my training was learning some interesting moves was like, Hey, let me show you this really cool move. I learned at the dojo today, friends, and then injured myself. And then because I was drunk, I was like, well, that really hurt. Let me just do it again. <laughs> obviously that is so, yeah yes. obviously so now i have an injury a permanent injury to remind me of those oh, bad decisions for the rest of my life so all i'm saying is is if you as a martial artist are kind of exploring how does my balance shift and stuff which i think is i mean that is also how i figured it out but you know just cut yourself off after like one drink so that you don't do something really dumb like I did. Yes. Learn from my mistakes. <laughs> Will do. Appreciate it. <laughs> I'm old enough to be Shelby's mother, and she's young enough to be like my second daughter. Gah, time. But what I love about talking to people in the next generation, like Shelby, is their awareness of the power of networks and community. It's totally opposite from Gen X, my generation. There's so much to learn from Shelby's understanding already that if we can find the resources and guidance, we really can accomplish great things. We really can't do it all on our own. And that connection to each other lifts everyone up. You can find Shelby teaching and training at Studio City Martial Arts in Studio City, California, and you'll soon be able to find her hosting Pretty Deadly app parties and leading Pretty Deadly Basics of Self-Defense Movement, our live online course we developed during quarantine this year that introduces folks to self-defense just using stuff around the house. Be sure to check our course schedule on our website, prettydeadlyselfdefense.com. Pretty Deadly Self-Defense is a self-defense program based in Berlin, but with coaches and trainers in a growing number of cities in Europe and around the world. If you want to join us just to take a course or to become a coach, a trainer, or even offer Pretty Deadly in your school or studio, let us know through our website at prettydeadlyselfdefense.com or find us through our app. Just search for Pretty Deadly Self-Defense in your favorite app store and download for free. And remember that all of our paid programs fund our volunteer work. So when you empower yourself, you're actually empowering another woman, too. Thanks for being here. I'm Susie Colick, and you've been listening to the Pretty Deadly Podcast. See you next week.